0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ, in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. This is kind of a part two of what happened on Wednesday where I went over Colossians 1, 24-29. So that was the passage that I was asked to, to dig into and find out what I could share. And it led me to today's lesson. This is kind of the part two of that. And I want to start by saying, "What is worth your life?" The Apostle Paul, when he was in prison writing Colossians 1:24 through29, he had to be thinking, "What is my life worth?" What am I giving my life for? Why am I here? So I hope to share a little bit about that and also to share the so what. The what does this make me want to do in my daily life? It's kind of funny. uh, Dane called and said, Man, I am so sorry, Phil. I made a mistake. I said, What are you talking about? He said... I got you on for a Wednesday and a Sunday, back to back. I'm really sorry about that. And I said, you know, it's okay. Uh, I've seen the other guys do it. I'll just try to step up. So I'm hoping that today this will be a blessing and that you'll do your homework too. You'll go home and you'll read these verses and you'll wrestle with this and point out any glaring mistakes that I might have made or any stumblings. I had hoped on Wednesday to present a little roadmap, and I had that behind me on the board, and I hoped that that a- a- analogy came across. And it's really, it's really Paul's life that I want to draw from today. What would it take a person to go from hatred of someone else, hatred and absolute antagonism? Like you hear that person's name, you hear that person's voice, and you just want to Claw something to death. You just want to take out your sword and chop something up. Or What would it take for you to go from that position to one of absolute love and respect? That's what Paul had to do. So I want to kind of talk about that. What would make him become a martyr for Jesus? Colossians was uh, written sometime around 61 to 63 A.D. That's a little little history there. There's a lot going on in the world at that point. Jesus was crucified approximately 30 years or so before that. So, in that time, something changed. And I want to discuss it like this. When we talked about Paul's challenges with the Jews, with his own people, that he was trying to convince that Jesus was really the Messiah he did not get the open arms of you know what we agree with you we love you come on share more from everybody he he got that from a few people that God allowed to have faith he he just he just didn't get it from everybody instead from the Jews of his day he got rocks and big stones and and uh threats of death 40 guys said We're not going to eat anything or drink anything until we kill this guy. That's some pretty strong hatred. And he even used as one of his defenses, hey, remember, I was just like you guys. I persecuted the way. I persecuted these crazy people called Christians. And they still didn't listen. So there was a shift that had taken place in the Roman Empire. Remember when the Jews wanted to get rid of Jesus, they had to go and kind of bow before Rome and say, hey, can you help us get rid of this guy? Can you help us put him on a cross, please? But when it came to Paul breathing out his murderous threats towards Christians, all he had to do was go to the Sanhedrin and get letters to take that said, your life is forfeit. You're going to jail or you're dying or whatever the Whatever the consequences would be, that was just a 30-year shift in time, just a 30-year segment. I know in the last 30 years, a lot has changed in this world. 30 years ago, Jesus' name was much more exalted than it is nowadays, I, I would say. Now, in the whole scheme of things, we're just looking at America right now. There's other places on the planet where Jesus' name is really exalted, and that's exciting to hear and to see and to be a part of. I want to throw out a few other examples. Uh, Herod, King Herod, the king of the Jews at that point, appointed by Rome, was able to kill James, the brother of John, right after the early church started, right after Pentecost. The Jews at this point didn't have to rely on the Romans for the death penalty. so That's just a little historical background there. Let's take a, another look at Paul. Paul's conversion changed the world, changed it for the Jews, and it changed it for the Gentiles. And Paul had to really rethink, what is my life worth? We're going to talk about his, uh, his early life, and he had some, uh, what are those things called where you can stick them up on your resume, or I just forgot the word. The things that he hung his hat on, the, the things that he said, I am, I am all that, he studied under a guy named Gamaliel, who was one of the leading Jewish teachers, respected by a lot of people. Later on, Paul would write 13, possibly 13 books of the New Testament. So he must have used some of that studying under Gamaliel and used it for Jesus. Luke, a physician who was beloved by Paul, followed Paul around and cared for his needs and took care of him. And and when these guys went on their missionary journeys, Luke was right there, writing down what happened. Then Paul got beaten and stoned. But the very next day, he walks right back into that city. That's something. Uh, evidently, the Holy Spirit saw fit to emphasize the life and teachings of Paul as an example and source for learning about true discipleship following Jesus Christ. Hopefully, in this study, we'll take a look at Paul's writings and Luke's records of his life and travels. Paul was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, which is part of uh, Turkey. It was a Roman province at that point in time, and Paul was actually a Roman citizen. I don't know exactly how that worked out, whether his dad or grandfather or somebody in his lineage bought or earned Roman citizenship, but somehow he got it, and it was transferred to him. So he had all the rights and all the privileges of a Roman citizen. I've only had this happen a few times in my life where somebody thought that this little booklet that I carried around with me, usually daily, this little tiny booklet, it wasn't in the Bible. It's, it's smaller than that and less valuable. But at that point, in that country... That book was like gold. It was a passport that said, Phil is a citizen of this country. And when I got into trouble or something, I could pull that out, and all of the aid of the U.S. government could theoretically be at my disposal. Paul eventually used his get-out-of-jail-free card, sort of, and appealed to Caesar, which we'll talk about that, hopefully, if we have time. So Paul was from Tarsus, and Tarsus was actually a capital city. It was a big deal. It was a big place. Yeah, When you talk to people from this area, if they're from the country, Fort Smith is kind of the biggest deal. But if you talk to people from Fort Smith, they're like, Fort Smith is nothing. It's Dallas or Kansas City or somewhere else. That's the big deal. Apparently, Tarsus was a big deal a big deal. There was a historical note that said that the library there that was collected over the years would rival the libraries of Athens or Alexandria. For the bookworms amongst us, that might be a cool thing to know. Paul was a Hebrew, an Israelite, or of the seed of Adam. He wrote that, 2 Corinthians 11.22. Okay, here's a good one. Here's one of those Pedigrees. I think that's the word I was looking for. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Do you remember Benjamin? Benjamin was the youngest. His mom was Rachel, who the father loved immensely. And, uh, and Joseph would have been his big brother. So Paul was from that lineage, if you go back. Both of his parents were Hebrews, apparently, his mom and his dad. It wasn't like Timothy, whose dad was Greek. So that gave him some clout. Born a Roman citizen, already talked about that. Possibly he was born sometime around Jesus' birth. We don't know. He could have been a contemporary. I just had this fleeting thought of what if a 12-year-old Paul was hanging out with Gamaliel studying, some kid from some outlying uh, city comes in and says, hey, let me ask you guys some questions. I, I can't state that that happened, but it's just an interesting thing to think about. If they were about the same age, that would be something. So uh, Paul was a Pharisee, and he became a strict Pharisee. He said, I held, I kept the law big time. There was no getting around that law with me. He excelled above his contemporaries. Paul said this. That's pretty, pretty proud, unless other people could say, no, you weren't, you were, you were a nobody. What, what were you thinking? And he was bivocational. He also trained as a tent maker. Back where we came from, I used to kid that he had a part-time job at REI. You know, he'd, he'd go out and teach the gospel and then go build some tents for some people to, to live in. He was zealous in persecuting the church. He thought he served God with a pure conscience. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So he was on the fast track to become somebody Big. Can you imagine if we extrapolate this just a little bit further? Let's say 20 years from then, wherever he was, whenever he was training under Gamaliel, 20 years later, I wonder if he would have been called on for the role of high priest. Can you imagine that? It'd be a different world. We can't, uh, can't hang on to that stuff too much. Uh, seems Paul, Saul got derailed one day when he was really at a fever pitch. Uh, his friends all rushed out into the street and said, we got to go take care of somebody. Paul said, okay, I'll come with you. And he ran out there with them and they left their jackets. Stay here, watch them. That one's got my wallet in it, that one's got my my keys, whatever. And he's looking at these guys throwing big rocks at this guy out in the street. Wow. Paul got a taste for bloodlust that day and said, you know what, this is wrong and these people need to be stopped and if I need to go out and stone them all or kill them all, that's what needs to happen to these followers of Jesus. Jesus. So he consented to the death of Stephen, and he even mentions that later. He entered homes dragging men and women to prison. He entered synagogues and imprisoned and beat those who believed in Jesus. That's Acts 22:19. He believed that it was necessary to do things contrary to Jesus. He did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. So these are the actions, just in brief, of somebody who does not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Do we see that nowadays in our society? What are, the, what are the keynotes of somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah? I mean, you could almost make a list. Yeah. Okay, so how many of us were like that at some point? Paul got so fired up about this, he even decided he would take some road trips and go beat Christians up in neighboring towns. So this is interesting for me, because Paul had such a good relationship with the people in charge in the Sanhedrin that he was able to get letters that said, uh, you are under arrest by order of the Sanhedrin for crimes against your country, and then... Go out and take these people and arrest them. I have the authority of the law. I've been deputized. You're going to jail or you're dying. You pick. So as Saul is going out, and I know we touched on this a little bit Wednesday, but I I felt it was really good to go over this again. He is going to Damascus for the sole purpose of making believers in Jesus suffer, whatever the cost, What was his life worth? His life was worth everything to him. He was doing the right thing. And he was punishing people whose lives were worth nothing. At this point, Jesus had had enough, I think. And he had also said, you know what? It's time to really show Saul who I am. So he turns on the bright light Stops Paul dead in his tracks. And all of the guys around Paul, they know something's going on. Sadly, sadly, we don't hear much about those companions from that horse ride to uh, Damascus. We don't hear much about them. I would like to know someday, you know, in heaven, if, hey, did any of those guys repent? Did any of those guys become believers in Jesus? What happened? We do know that they led a blinded Saul by the hand into Damascus because he said, that's where we're going. I was told I need to go there. What do you want to do, Paul? You can't see. Do you want to go back to Jerusalem? What do you want to do? Yeah, let's keep going. I was told to keep going. Told by who? That'd be a weird conversation to have. Did these guys hear the voice but didn't understand it? Did they see the light but Didn't hear the voice? Something happened with them. Paul's, his decision to go there changed his life for the better. Or maybe for the worse, if you were a Pharisee that didn't want to become a believer in Jesus. For these reasons, Paul considered himself the least of the apostles. These and and more, probably. Probably that I can't go into right now. He said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I'm like one who's born abnormally. All the other guys walked and talked with Jesus for years. Me, I had a 10-minute conversation with him in the desert on the way to Damascus. I want to park here for just a second. Uh, There was some Old Testament references to Damascus. They weren't quite clear enough for me to state this 100%, so just bear with me. But uh, there's a a reference to Damascus being the place where your eyes would fall and you would seek God. I didn't write down that reference, but uh, if you ask for me afterwards, I'll find it. I thought that's what happened to Paul, because he's in Damascus now for three days. Not eating, not drinking, he's blind. What do you think the thoughts were going through his head? I came here to kill followers of Jesus. I was stopped by some powerful being who called himself Jesus of Nazareth, whom I was persecuting, Saul said. This had to do a number on his thinking. This, this had to make him go back and go... Okay, somebody bring the scrolls out that we brought. Let's start reading those from the Old Testament. Can you, can you read those to me? I wonder if he did that. We do know that God didn't only speak to Saul that day. God spoke to a guy named Ananias. Again, we, we went through some of this on Wednesday. And Ananias got the message from Jesus saying, I want you to go talk to Saul. He's in town and uh, he needs to hear some things from you. Ananias says, wait, 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 wait. I've heard about this guy, and Lord, you know all the damage he has done to your people. Let's, I, I don't want to do this. Jesus says, go, go do it. How much courage did it take for Ananias to walk into that room with Saul's companions standing around just waiting to beat him up? And uh, Brother Saul, receive your sight. All the other guys probably said, Time out. There is something definitely going on. So after that happened, Ananias says to Paul, to Saul, "What are you waiting for? Get up and wash away your sins by being baptized." That's linking baptism, immersion into Jesus, with salvation. That's pretty powerful. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. What's his life worth? He became Paul the preacher. He went back to Jerusalem, had a trance that said from Jesus, get out of town. The Jews will not believe your message. You need to leave now. I don't know why, but God has his reasons. Jesus has his reasons. And he was preparing Saul to become Paul. So it took Paul years and probably some some rereading of passages of scripture. So today one of the lessons is if you want to get close to Jesus and have a changed life, get into scripture, get into his book, get around people who call on his name often. Challenge yourself with with these people and have them challenge you. First Timothy 1, 15 through 16, Paul wrote to Timothy, this is later in Paul's life when he was in prison writing to Timothy, giving him some instructions about how to lead or how to share Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, however, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me, first, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. 1 Timothy 1, 15-16. That's pretty powerful. Paul said, I am the worst sinner. Look at the stuff that I did, even to Jesus' people, but look at the grace I got. So... Hold those during the study. Eventually, Paul released or relinquished his life to a sword in Rome. That's the the history that Paul had his head cut off by Nero's guards, by Nero's command. What did it take for him to go from my life is worth pursuing these Christians to death to I am now willing to give my life for Jesus? That's a question we have to ask ourselves, not just the day we're baptized, but 20 years on into the future if God lets us live that long. Matthew 16, 24 These are some examples of how the early Christians may have impacted Paul later when he heard these stories, or maybe when somebody reminded him about Stephen, or maybe somebody reminded him about Herod killing James. Jesus told his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up his cross, take up their cross, and follow me. Have you ever heard somebody say, that's just my cross to bear, kind of flippantly? You ever heard that? You know, hey, my car broke down, but that's just my cross to bear. And you think, wait a second, that doesn't even compare to the real cross. That's a silly comparison. Don't do that. That's my cross I have to carry. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. When a person carried a cross... In Jesus' day, no one thought that that was an annoyance. No one thought that that was something to make light of. That was, that's the device that you're going to die on. Kind of a heavy lesson. You know, I, I thought about this. And it, it's much heavier than, than Wednesdays, because now I, I have more time to develop this. Death by crucifixion. There have been a lot of doctors that have uh, taken it on themselves to say, here's what actually happens to the physiology of the human body when you die on a cross. It is painful. As a matter of fact, we get the word excruciating from the cross. That's what that word literally means, from the cross. So if somebody's going to die on the cross, it's excruciating. It is the pain that can only be given from the cross. So there's that example of Jesus dying for us, and then there are many human examples of followers of Christ putting their life on the line, saying, it is worth my death to preach Jesus. Uh, I'm gonna lift this book up here for just a second, Fox's Book of Martyrs, okay? It's not scripture, I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but there are a lot of stories in here about how the early Christians died, and examples of what happened to them. Uh, as a matter of fact, Catherine and I uh, watched a little uh, animated clip on YouTube. It was like thirty minutes long about how how these early Christians gave up their lives, and they, you know, people came to them and said, "You can be released. All you have to do is just take this little pinch of incense, just take it and dump it into the flame." and that, that will be good. You don't even have to mean it. Just do that, and you, you'll, you'll live for your parents, for your, your child. You will survive this day. And that person recorded said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give my life for Jesus. So what would it take for us to have that same mindset? I don't want to be a doomsayer or anything like that, but God tells us in his word that there before his throne is an altar. And occasionally the lid of that altar gets moved and you see the people that have been killed for the name of Jesus present in that area. I wonder if I have the strength to go through that. I know many people who have risked their lives for the gospel for years, 20 years they've lived overseas. They've lived in all kinds of environments, places where people that I've known have died from malaria, and that's not a very common disease, or hadn't been. Uh, People have been beaten for their faith by their own family. That's brutal. And I don't think many of us in this room have ever endured that. I haven't. The most I've, the most I've endured is probably, here, here in Arkansas, the most was when we went out and stood on the sidewalk for the pregnancy center for the, the clinic. And we held the signs up that said, choose life. And the, the finger gestures. And the shouts that we got as these people were driving past us at 35, 40, 50 miles an hour, angry, honking hunk, their horns. And, and that's about the worst that my, my persecution's gotten. I, I've never shed blood for this. And I, I, I really struggled with this lesson as I looked at what these other people had to live through and had to bear up under. There are many, many more uh, instances in the Bible of people who gave their life for Jesus. So the so what's are. We need to be looking out for this to happen. And Jesus says we're blessed if we lay down our lives for our friends. He did. And then most of his Disciples. Most of his apostles met an early death, except for John, who was allowed to live out his life as an old man. How is your prayer life? How is my prayer life? Would, would we be able to stand up under this? What would our prayers sound like if we were actually facing possible death or imprisonment? for the name of Jesus. And I think about some of the brothers in this audience who have put up with this recently. And it's a little scary to think about that. Man, what would that be like if somebody from this group got removed from service to God in this life? Uh, I would like to at least prep the next generation of believers to know that it's possible... And and have them ask this question daily, what is your life worth? What is worth your life? It can't be the stuff, as we have discovered, most of our stuff is in a shed. And I think daily, do we really need that stuff? I mean, it's just been sitting there. We, we'll go in occasionally and we'll get a box or two or my wife's much better at it. She'll go in and get like 10 and sort through them and get rid of the stuff that we really don't need and put the stuff that we really do need somewhere. That's, that's a huge blessing for me. But I get out there and I think, how long have I carried this weight? How long do I really need this? That's a, a practical example. Back to the uh, foreign overseas thing. This is one story, this is not about me. I just I just know the person who endured this. This young lady in Tomsk, Siberia, became a believer in Jesus, was baptized, and her family did not approve. And so they beat her and forbid her forbade her from participating in our events. And it was probably about three or four months before we saw her again in person. Other people had seen her, and she had the bruises. It was not good. That family was not healthy. And eventually, four or five of her brothers and sisters became believers. And it is amazing to see what happens when somebody suffers for Jesus, because those people that were hardened, hardened hearts, yield, they just melt, usually. Uh, the, the people around that person, and it impacts them. So I'm not saying I'm looking forward to that, but I'm just saying that it, when that does happen, and if I'm able to see that again, I want to be able to glorify God. I have. Uh, run out of my verses so I want to go ahead and read this as it is written it's in Matthew 18 excuse me Matthew 28 these are the instructions from Jesus and these are his marching orders Matthew 28, 18 through the end. Actually, we're going to back up to 16. But the 11 disciples, because at that point Judas was dead, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That had to be the early Christians' motivating force that had to become their, what is life worth living for? What am I willing to give up in order to accomplish that command of Jesus? That's what I've got today. So that's the question I need to ask myself. This this lesson was mostly for me, because as I looked at that, I thought, I haven't done that yet. Jesus has not asked that of me. Yet, when it comes, will I be ready for it? Will I be capable of that? Will I shrink in fear? Or will I stand firm? So I'm hoping that you all can ask that same question for yourselves. The good thing is, if you're not ready right now, you have time. You have a purpose you have the words of God, you have a faithful body here and other places around the world that you can learn from and rub shoulders with and be encouraged by daily. Because I know that one brother here has definitely encouraged me with the suffering that he's gone through. And that's, we know that God is working. We know that, that God is impacting people daily and i sure hope that we can be a part of that so that's what i had prepared Uh, the invitation song has been picked if you are needing prayers if you're needing to commit your life to jesus uh, come as we stand and sing